So you're sending one of your kids off to college. I don't tell you, that is a time ripe for advice. <laughs> I'm sending my kid off to college. I got I got to instill some advice in him before he goes. The Sheldons just went through this, and I wonder how many times they sat down before Timothy left for college and said, "Now listen, and be sure to do this and don't do that." And I mean, that's a time ripe for giving advice, wouldn't you say? You're sending your kid off to college for the first time. Wonder how many parents, as they're giving that advice, would say, "Just be average, you know. Just just shoot for the middle. Don't try to be anything special. Just just try to be average, you know." No, you wouldn't give, you wouldn't give a child that kind of advice. But you you would tell your child, "Aim to be the best. Strive for excellence." Isn't that what you would tell a child? Somebody's going to start a new job tomorrow morning. And so, you know, we've been kind of concerned about this individual. He needs a good job. He's been struggling to not have good work. Now he's got a chance. He's got a job offer. And he's going to go to work. A new job tomorrow morning. And so my advice to him today is shoot for mediocrity. <laughs> Just be a mediocre employee. Don't try... In fact... Scale it down a little, you know. Don't try, don't try to be out there at the top. Just, just be average. Don't be exceptional at all. No. We would never say that, would we? We would encourage this individual, man, this is a great opportunity for you. Be the best you can be. Isn't that what we would say? Of course is what we would say. Well, that's what we want to build our lesson on, that notion. We want to build our lesson on that this morning. Uh, some people might think that being average is, is okay, but I think most right-thinking people realize that we need to strive to be the very best we possibly can be. In whatever endeavor we engage, we need to strive for excellence. And I want to apply that reasoning to our spiritual service to God. That in our spiritual service to God, we need to strive for excellence. And that will be our lesson for a few minutes here this morning. Before we get to that, I want to stop to... Add words of welcome to those that have already been expressed uh, uh, in the prayer. Nick prayed that thank you for this beautiful day, and it actually is a beautiful day. You know? I mean, it's not it's not one of those picture postcard days with clouds and sun shining, and you know, but it's a beautiful day, especially considering how dry we have been recently. The rain is a blessing. I, I was telling Cindy, uh, I think yesterday or, or just the day before, when it started raining and it hadn't rained for a while. I remember when I was a kid especially during summer vacation, my brother and I would be inclined, you know, Dad would always have us pray at the supper table, and we would pray, pray tomorrow will be a nice sunny day, no rain, because <laughs> we wanted to get out and play. We didn't want a rainy day. And my dad finally had to say, you know, it has to rain sometimes. You can't, you can't pray for a sunny day every day. And so we have one of those rainy days today, and it's a blessing. We are blessed by God in so many ways. We thank you for being here. This opportunity to assemble together in worship is a blessing. And we're glad that you have come to be a part of it today. We have visitors with us. We're so glad you've come our way. Uh, please stay, stay around for a little while afterwards that we can get to meet you and uh, uh, express our appreciation for your presence. We, we are glad that you've come. We want you to come back every time you have a chance to be here. So we need to strive for excellence. Let me suggest a text for our study this morning from 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 11. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles 
so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. There's several things that we can point out from this text. The first thing that we can point out is that, yes, people are watching. Notice here in our text, as they observe. There are people who are observing us. Did you ever, uh, when you, maybe you were out at a restaurant or at a ball game or something, did you ever watch someone and they didn't know you were watching them? I'm sure all of us have done that, right? Maybe you're sitting at this table in the restaurant and over there, you just have to keep looking over there. There's, there's an individual or a family or some people over there. It's kind of interesting and just out of the corner of your eye, you're constantly glancing over there to, to see them, see what they're doing. Maybe when you're at a ball game, just sitting down the bleachers from your little way as an individual and you're kind of interested in, in that person's reaction to what's going on. And so you're watching them. They don't know you're watching them, but, they're wa- but you're watching them. Did you ever think that people are doing you that same way also? That just as you sometimes watch people and they don't know it, people are watching you and you may not know it either. Who would, who would some of those people be who are watching? Well, our children watch us. Right? Our grandchildren watch us. They're observing. They see what we're doing. Young people watch one another. Your so-called peer group. You've got young people, you've got other young people who are watching you, watching what you're doing. Schoolmates, co-workers, neighbors, people who are in places where we go and do business, buy and sell, um, people who don't even know you. There's just all kinds of people who are watching. Now, they're not watching and that's it. They're watching and they are obviously then making some judgment about you. Some determination about what kind of person you are. The more they watch, the more thorough the evidence of the kind of person you are. But people are watching. We need to be aware of that. Just recently in our auditorium class here on Sunday morning, we were talking about how the apostles were drawn before the Jewish council for the first time. It's very the very first hint of persecution against Christianity in Acts chapter 4. But notice, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Notice, they're, they're watching Peter and John. They're watching how they conduct themselves. They draw some conclusion. Uh, uh, they, see, they can see their boldness. How do you see boldness? You see boldness by the way they're acting and the things they're saying, right? They saw their boldness. They realized that they were men who were not educated in the schools of Jewish learning. And they marveled. They drew a conclusion from what they were seeing. And they, they were impressed, although they're going to act in a way to not show that. They, they realized that there was something different going on here. They observed them. People are constantly observing us. We need to realize that that is the case. Now, to add to that, we would say that often people are watching with a critical eye. And that would include those that we were just talking about, the Jewish rulers as they watched the apostles, by the way. People are watching, and many who are watching us are trying to see if there's any fault in us. I don't know how many of you guys can remember back when maybe you tried out for the Little League baseball team, you know, 
what a nerve-wracking thing for a kid to go through, you know. I've got to go to the Little League tryout Saturday. And they're going to do everything to see if they can get me to mess up. They're going to, they're going to hit hard ground balls to me, see if I can field them. They're going to knock long flies out in the outfield, see if I can catch them. They're going to put me up there to bat. This is always my downfall. They're going to put me up to bat and see if I can hit a ball when it's thrown at me. Oh man, what a nervous thing. But they're watching with a critical eye. Is this guy any good? Can he help us on our team? So they're looking and they're, they're looking to see if there's any flaw. They're looking with a critical eye. Well, I want to tell you, people are watching us critically when it comes to our spiritual service to God. Notice here uh, that he says, keep your, your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Now, I really think here when Peter uses the word Gentiles, he's not using that expression in the literal sense. We, we know literally anybody who wasn't a physical Jew was a Gentile, right? Anybody who wasn't an actual descendant of the man Abraham was a Gentile. I don't think he's using the expression that way here. I think he's using Gentile here in the sense of those who are not God's people. So how are you going to conduct yourself among those who are not God's people? You say you were one of God's people. So how are you going to act among the Gentiles, those who are not God's people? Notice, they slander you as evildoers. A lot of these people who uh, are not God's people are going to look at us with a very critical eye. Uh, they're going to be trying to find some fault in us because that will sort of satisfy them and soothe their own consciences and so forth. So they're going to be looking very critically at us. Uh, we represent something they don't believe. We also represent something that they don't want to submit to. And so they're going to look at us with a critical eye. But we really shouldn't be too surprised about that, should we? Because they did that even to Jesus, our, our perfect master. In Matthew chapter 10, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, Jesus said, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Now get what Jesus is saying here. He says, they have spoken horribly about me. I mean, here's Jesus, absolutely perfect without a single flaw, and yet they could call him Beelzebub. Uh, and so if they have called him Beelzebub, of the devil, what do you think they're going to do to us? So don't be surprised when people look at you critically, but be aware that it's happening, all right? So people are watching, and a, a, a good percentage of them are looking at us with a very critical eye. That being the case, what do we do? Well, good is not good enough. We need to set an excellent example. Um, Notice, he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So we need to be striving for excellence. Go with me for a minute. I want, I want to look. We don't have it on our chart here, but I want to look at the verse just leading up to the verses we're studying this morning. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, notice he says, uh, um, verse 9, he says, 
uh, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are a people, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And, and so in those verses, uh, he's suggesting that they, they need to keep themselves from sin. Uh, uh, they should not involve themselves with evil. So keeping yourself from doing evil is one thing, but this text, the verses now then, actually ask us to take it to a higher level. It's not enough just to keep from doing bad things. Your behavior needs to be excellent. We need to be better than just not bad. We need to be excellent. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Verse 21, notice Paul says, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. I'm reading the King James Version there, and the word honest is exactly the same word that we're talking about here, excellent. And so you could read this, and some versions do read it this way, provide for excellent things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We need to be setting an excellent example. Stop to think about this for a minute. If, if I, maybe I don't curse and swear as bad as some people do, but you know, every once in a while, a little, I let a little bad word slip out. You know. Well, when I realize that there are people watching me with a critical eye, I don't have to cuss like a drunken sailor in order to give them what they're looking for. I just have to let a bad word slip out just once in a while, right? Because they're looking to find a fault in me. And so I need to set an, I need to set an excellent example. Uh, uh, just, just marginally bad speech is bad enough to ruin my example. I've got to be exemplary in, in my speech. Uh, my dress, the way we dress in the world, we, we've got to set a high standard, a high example. If, if we let down at all and wear things that are even questionably modest, then people are going to see that and they're going to draw a conclusion that we don't really believe all that. You can preach modesty all you want, but if, you know, if you're, not wearing, if you're not wearing the right kind of clothes, then they're going to jump on that. Now, any kind of conduct, the kind of entertainment that we watch, the movies we go to. Well, that guy calls himself a Christian. And I happen to know for a fact the last week he was talking about the fact that he went to see an R-rated movie. That's it, right? You just destroyed your example. You're not keeping your behavior excellent if you provide those kind of sort of chinks in the armor that let people have an opportunity to dismiss you completely as, uh, as a, an unworthy individual. We need to be excellent. We, we're not just shunning bad things, but actually setting the high bar of excellent behavior. That's what this text is calling on us to do. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. In Second Peter chapter 1, Peter goes through that list of the, the so-called Christian virtues. And I just want to start with the first one. We're not going to go through that whole list, but you remember in Second Peter chapter 1 verse 5, he says, besides this, giving all diligence, Add to your faith virtue. Thayer says that the word virtue there 
uh, is a general word that can denote excellence of any kind, you know. Um, uh, that's an excellent lawnmower. You could use, you could use this word to describe a, a lawnmower that really does a great job mowing the lawn. Uh, excellence about any thing or any person, you could use this general word virtue to describe it. But in this context, the word virtue, he says, means moral excellence. And so he says, add to your faith moral excellence. Again, there's that idea. Just being average is not good enough. You need to be exemplary. exemplary. You need to set a high standard. You need to be excellent uh, in your behavior. As I said at the outset, you would not encourage a student or a worker to strive for mediocrity. And as Christians, we certainly can't afford to be mediocre or average. We've got to be working hard to be excellent in our service to God. That's, that's, the, that's what we're striving. Now, have we achieved it? No, obviously. There's always room where we can improve. But this is st- stating the standard we're shooting for. This is what we need to aim for. Don't aim to be average. Aim to be excellent in service to God. Finally, we can talk about what the importance of this is. Why is this so important? Well, notice, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's why this is important. It's important because we may bring others to glorify God as they observe our example. This day of visitation is kind of an interesting expression. And it can mean two different things. One way that the word day of visitation is used is to denote God's punishment upon those who are evil. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 3, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 3, uh, what will ye do in the day of visitation and in the desolation which shall come from far? To whom will ye flee for help? And where will you leave your glory? You see how that word, the expression day of visitation is used there to denote a punishment that God was going to send upon those who were evil. And it can mean that. But it might also be used in a fashion to describe you have an opportunity to be blessed, an opportunity to receive God's mercy. Look in Luke 19. In Luke chapter 19, verse 44. Here... Jesus was lamenting what God would do to Jerusalem. And he says in Luke 19, verse 44, He shall lay thee even with the ground. He shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. The time of their visitation here would say, you know, you had a chance and an opportunity to receive blessings from God was available. You could have, you could have received His mercy, you, and, but you rejected it. And, but, but here, I think Jesus is using the idea of the time of visitation to note a time of opportunity to receive God's blessings and mercy. And I would kind of think that that's what Peter has in mind when the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, they may glorify God in the day of visitation. When they have a chance, they will receive the mercy of God. They will glorify God. We often talk about the fact that that's what we're here for. We're here to bring glory to God. We should be doing that, and we should be seeking to bring others to glorify Him. Our aim is that even... So, looking at this text, 
what you realize is that our aim needs to be that even those who might first reject the Lord will come to accept Him and glorify Him because of what they see in us. That's just as simple as it can be put. Keep an excellent behavior before the people who are not for God right now. Because it may be that through your... And they, and they probably would like a chance to say something bad about you. They're going to be watching you critically. But live in such an excellent way that even those who want to say something bad about you will ultimately be turned and come around to glorify God. Uh, this very much sounds like the text that we read at the start of the services. Henry read for us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You know these verses so well. Let uh, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's what we need to be trying to do. We need to be living in such a way that others are brought to glorify God. And so, excellence is what we need to be striving for. Not just to be average, not to see if we can just do a bare minimum. You wouldn't tell, you wouldn't tell anybody to do that at school or on the job or in anything else they do. You wouldn't tell people, just be average. Don't try too hard. You would say, Try to be the best you can be. Strive for excellence. And that's what this passage is calling upon us to do when it comes to our service to God. Will you strive for excellence in serving God? Will you be His faithful child? Will you live for Him and set an example to all in the world that they might glorify Him as well? That's our challenge. Thanks for listening this morning. We're going to end our lesson and sing a song of invitation as we sing this song. We'll be asking those of us who are already Christians, have we been setting that standard? Has our behavior been excellent in the world? If you realize that yours hasn't been what it should be, that you have failed and fallen from faithful service to God, as a Christian, we talked about this in our Bible class this morning, you have this invitation. Come back to Him. Repent. Pray for forgiveness. We can pray with you and for you this morning. If you need that help, let us know. If you're not yet a Christian, of course, that's the ultimately most important decision of life, to become a child of God through obedience to the gospel plan. Hearing the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.